got it. Jordan, you might as well make your, your way up. You'll be reading right at the outset just about. So, as always, well, it's so good to see you guys. Your commitment, so impressive, and the Lord is, is pleased with your commitment to him and to his church, to him through his church. You know, we don't just serve him lone rangers out there. He, he saves us, he places us in a body of Christ, and we serve him in the church and through the church. Did you know that? So introduction and review, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, for the final time. Amen. You stand with me, please. Jordan will come and he'll read for us. You get the privilege of reading the final time. <laughs> Good and loud into the mic, Jordan. Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. Thank you, Jordan. You may be seated. So here we go, Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. This is like the fifth or sixth week that we've covered this. This entire passage, six verses, emphasizes relationships in the church. If you haven't gotten anything else in the last three, four, five, six weeks, it should be that. God is very concerned about relationships in his church. In his church, the larger body of Christ. In his church, the local body of Christ. Very concerned about that. I have noticed, maybe you have too, at least I feel like I've noticed, I sense this, that there's been a ramping up of the strength of our relationships in this church in these days. Whenever we have the chance for fellowship, it's a strong fellowship as we're learning how important it is that we care for one another and treat one another rightly, correctly. That we put away all of that negative stuff that we'll talk a little bit about today. All the backbiting, all the criticism, all the judgmentalism, all of those, those things. And right from the outset, I'll just say it, I probably won't say it again. We're not, this context is relationships in the church. This is not standing against evil. So we're not talking about compromising truth. We're not talking about condoning sin. We're talking about how we treat one another in the context of relationships in the church. And actually, the stronger we grow together, the more effectively we can confront evil when it raises its ugly head. Just a brief recap of the message of the verse it's necessary for today's message. Verse 1 contains the main point. I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, I beg you, lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. This is just not another part of your life. You've been called by God into this. This is the highest part of your life, of a Christian's life. This is the highest calling 
I had a friend who was a pastor up in Northeast PA, and he used to say to me, the trouble with the American church is we have made Christ a part of our life, but Christ is not our life. We have made Christ, our Christianity, a part of our lives, along with everything else. But we have not yet made Christ our life, the Lord of our life, the reason we exist. He's a part of our lives. He's trying to change that. He's more important than any of the other parts of our lives. I know we know that. So lead a life worthy of your calling. Paul is admonishing the believers in Ephesus, lead lives worthy of this high calling you have in Christ. You've been called by God. Do not take that lightly. What a privilege. You've been called into this by God himself. Yes, you made a decision to respond, but it was because God called you. You would have never decided to come to Christ, get involved in a church on your own. He called you into this, and you responded. Oswald Chambers wrote a very famous devotional, a devotional book. It's entitled, My Utmost for His Highest. That's the way we should live every day. My best for Him. And that's what we're talking about. Lead lives worthy of this calling. Now, verse 2, it, begins us a place, it gives us a place to begin. Verse 2 gives us actually some how-to instructions for living a life worthy of our calling. Verse 2, always be humble. Be gentle. Be patient with each other. In the context of relationships in the church, keep the context in mind. Be patient with each other. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love for one another. And we said, hey, there's a progression here. Be humble. It's very important how we think about ourselves. That we understand who we are in Christ. That's humility. Not too highly, not too lowly. Sober judgment. Who we are. Without him I can do nothing. Through him I can do all things. That's being humble. Recognizing who we truly are. Then it says be gentle. Be patient with each other. Making allowances for one another's faults. It's very important how we treat one another. It's very important how we think about ourselves. And it's very important how we treat one another in the church. It is doubtful that we can treat others correctly if we do not think about ourselves correctly. If we're operating out of woundedness and hurt, that's how we'll treat other people. If we have a low self-image and we're always threatened and intimidated, we'll always be defensive and we'll always be pointing out others' faults to make ourselves feel better about ourselves. Incorrect thinking about ourselves leads to incorrect thinking and treatment towards others. We've talked extensively about all of this over the past few weeks. This is review. So now, today, we're going to look at the end game. There's an end game to all this. Where's all this leading? We've covered the progression. We've talked about all of those things. What is the purpose of the progression? What's to be the result of this progression? That's what we'll We'll look at today. You'll see it in today's title. Maintain the unity. Unity is the end game. 
Unity is what we're striving towards in the church. Maintain or keep the unity, and the title comes right from verse 3. Make every effort to keep yourselves united or to keep the unity, to maintain the unity in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. The New Living, the NLT, the New Living Translation, words it like this, keep yourselves united. Many other versions simply say maintain the unity. Make every effort to keep the unity. So slightly different wording, but it's the same thought. The word united actually comes from the same root word as unity. It's the same root word for the concept of one that's mentioned so often later in this passage. I use the phrase maintain the unity simply because it makes for a better title, I think. Maintain the unity. So what exactly does that mean? What does the word unity even mean? I'm glad you asked. Unity, in its simplest form, means this, unbroken oneness. Say that with me. Unbroken oneness. Unity. We need to get that thought in our mind. It's, it's unbroken oneness. And unity is a very desirable thing. Unity is God's desire for mankind. It's God's desire for the church. It's God's desire for his, for his people to live together in unity. Unbroken oneness. Psalm 133, verses 1 through 3. How wonderful, how pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony, unity. Harmony is as precious as the anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's head. Harmony, unity, oneness is as refreshing as the dew from Mount Hermon that falls on the mountains of Zion. There the Lord, where? In unity and in oneness and in agreement and in harmony. There the Lord pronounces his blessing. Unity is a very desirable thing. It's God's desire for mankind. It's God's desire for the church. God is unified. God is one. Noah, Israel, the Lord our God, is one God. There's no division. There's unity. There's no disunity in the Godhead. And that's what he expects of his people and his church. He blesses unity. He blesses harmony. He blesses oneness. It enables the Lord to bless the church. Just a, a quick illustration I had a pastor friend, and he was one of my best pastor friends. But he had what I consider is a ridiculous theory. Do you want to hear it? Sure. Relates to unity. He said, I like having, or I, you need to have, and I like having a dissenter on my board. What? Why? Well, that keeps you honest. You always have to have a voice that's speaking against you know, what, what's going on? I'm like, that is so unscriptural. Why would you even want that, first of all, right? Secondly, it's unscriptural. God blesses unity, not dissension. So, and he always had one, self-fulfilling prophecy. And in the, long, in the end game, they, they ran him out of the church. <laughs> so much for the dissenter on the board and accomplishing anything. You accomplish things in unity and agreement and harmony and oneness. It doesn't mean that you think, it doesn't mean that you agree intellectually on every issue. 
I'm getting ahead of myself because I wanted to use our board as an illustration. It's not that our board and every man on our board intellectually thinks about every issue the same way. But we operate in oneness and we operate in unity, and here's why. Every elder on our board is willing to lay aside their own agenda for the agenda of God, and that's where we find the unity. Once we discuss it, once we pray about it, and we know what God wants, every one of us is willing to say, his will be done, not our will. That's where we have our unity. Not because we all think alike all the time, or we're all yes men. We lay down our personal agenda for God's agenda. That's where our unity in the church is. You might not agree with everything we do, but because God made you a part of this mission together, you're willing to lay down your agenda for the agenda of the church so that God can use us together, a unified body. Infighting comes when people can't lay down their own personal agenda and personal ambitions, and they have to have what they want. They think they're right, I get that, but they have to have what they want. That's where you have disunity, getting way ahead of myself. I want us to look at some words and just, just listen to these words as I read them. These are words that are aspects of unity. These are words that are the results of when unity and oneness is present. So related aspects and results of unity. Peace. Harmony. Calm. Well-being. Agreement. Prosperity, tranquility, quiet, untroubled, undisturbed, stressless, serenity. This describes an environment of unity. This is an atmosphere of unity. This is the fruit that unity promotes and produces. When you read this list, which I just did, you can almost feel it, can't you? You can feel it in here. You can hear the, the inaudible sigh of contentment that it brings. I'm going to read it again, and you just listen. This is an environment produced by unity. This is an atmosphere. This is what's present in an atmosphere of unity. Peace. Harmony. Calm. Well-being, agreement, prosperity, tranquility, quiet, untroubled, undisturbed, stressless, serenity. I hate to bring you actually out of that atmosphere and into this next slide, but we're going to. Here's related aspects and results of disunity. I want you to listen to these as intently as you listen to the first list. Strife, division, conflict, discord, fighting, backbiting, dissension, friction, rivalry, envy, jealousy, dispute, quarrel, clash, disagreement, squabble. This describes an environment of disunity where disunity is present. This describes an atmosphere of disunity. This is the fruit 
that disunity produces. When you read this list, you can almost feel it too. And you can hear the groan, not the sigh of contentment, but the groan of living under this, living in this atmosphere, living in this environment. Which environment, which atmosphere would you say is more inviting and attractive? Unity or disunity? Where would you rather live and move and have your being and operate? <laughs> which environment, which atmosphere would you like to experience in the church? It's a no-brainer. And it's God's intention. And it is possible. Oh, it can never happen with so many varied personalities and, and life experiences. And yes, it can. Yes, it can. Again, I'll be getting ahead of myself. But in Christ, it's entirely possible. And it is God's will that we live and walk and serve together in unity, in oneness, in harmony. Jesus told his disciples, a house divided will not stand against itself. A church that's turning against itself and its members are turning against each other will not even survive, let alone thrive. And Satan will have a heyday in that church. Verse 3 again. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. The emphasis this time is on the verb phrase, make every effort. Remember grammar class? When there's no actual subject mentioned in a sentence, who becomes the subject? Say it out. You. Y-O-U. When there's no subject mentioned in a sentence, you replace that with the subject becomes you. So it's saying you make every effort. You. It's on you. You make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. There must be a diligent effort on the part of believers. There has to be a, a diligent effort on the part of every believer, of you and of me. We need to watch over, we need to guard, we need to protect the unity of the church at all costs. We need to do all in our power not to allow anything to break unity in the church. Remember, unity is unbroken oneness. And remember, the theme of this passage is relationships within the church. We must do all in our power to not allow anything to get in that breaks the oneness within the relationships of our church. Like Jesus said about offenses, you know they'll come. Offenses will come. Offenses must come, he said, or they may come. They may occur, but woe to the one who instigates the offense. Woe to the one who breaks the unity. Woe to the one who breaks the oneness of the church body, the church family. I'd love to say that you'll never be successful, but unfortunately we've seen many examples of where they can be successful. But woe to the one in God's eyes that caused that to happen. One, woe to the one who in God's eyes introduced this unity into his church. He does not take it lightly. 
His wheels of judgment turn slowly, but he will not allow the guilty to go unpunished. Don't you be the one that's responsible. Hub, don't you be the one that's responsible. Don't you be the one to cause it. Hub, don't you be the one to cause it. If we all have that mindset, then guess what? No one will cause it. No one will break the unity, and we'll be a unified body. If we all adopt that mindset, it's not going to be me. It may happen, but if it does, it's not going to be me. Make every effort. Unity does not come about naturally. Keep that in mind as we move forward. I want to show you something very interesting near the end. But this is still true. Unity does not come about naturally. It takes determined effort on our part. The world, the flesh, and the devil will tempt us to introduce disunity and to break relationships. The wording here replies that, implies that we must work hard at this. We must never, ever let down our guard or let out our effort, let up on our efforts. And here's a reason why. Actually, here's four reasons why. Unity reflects the kingdom of God with, and light. Disunity reflects the kingdom of Satan and darkness. We have an enemy who does not want unity in God's church. That's an understatement. Check out these next four reasons why we must work hard to keep unity in the church. 1 Corinthians 2.11. Keep Satan from taking advantage of us. We're not ignorant of his schemes. We're not ignorant of the enemy's schemes. And, of course, one of his primary schemes is to break the unity in the church, to stir up disunity in relationships. The devil hates unity. The devil hates oneness. We need to expose him and stand against his schemes. You following this? Reason two, John 10.10. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose, Jesus, is to give them a rich and satisfying life. The words of Jesus, the thief he's referring to is the devil. The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He would love to steal, destroy, kill, and destroy the unity and the oneness of Columbia Christian Fellowship. He would love to introduce disunity and get us fighting against each other and unhappy with one another. The devil hates unity. He hates oneness. He hates agreement. He hates harmony. We need to expose him and stand against his schemes. Third reason, 1 Peter 5, 8. Stay alert. Watch out. Your great enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The devil's always roaming around, relentless, like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He would love to devour the unity that we have here in Columbia Christian Fellowship. We need to stand relentless in pursuing unity. The devil hates unity. We need to expose him and stand against his schemes. Fourth reason, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. Genesis 3.1, for those who will have to listen by podcast. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees of the garden? First of all, notice the twist in the words. 
Did God say you must not eat the fruit of any of the trees? No, that's not true. God didn't say that. Satan's a liar. Jesus told us that. What did God say? He said, don't eat from one tree. You can eat from the rest of the trees. God appointed one tree from which they could not eat. You cannot trust the devil. Do you hear me? You cannot trust the devil. He's a liar from the beginning. He's a deceiver. That's why we're in this mess. The shrewdest, the most crafty and deceptive creature in a diabolical way. And this, in this passage, he's just about to deceive Eve. Adam and Eve had not yet fallen. They're still in right relationship with God. The human race is still in a right relationship with God. But in this passage, Satan's just about to capture the human race and separate them from God through his deception. The devil is more subtle than any other created creature. He would love to deceive us into thinking that unity is not all that important. He would love to deceive you into thinking that your rights are higher than the cause of the unity of the church. So claim your right. Don't put up with that. We need to stand against that. You don't like the way they're doing that in the church? Well, speak up. Hey, go tell some other people and get them with you and speak up and come against that ministry or come against that board. Who do they think they are? Maybe you even have a valid point. If you do, there's channels to, to, to express your concern. But above all, do not allow it to break the unity of the relationships of the church. Don't ever come against anybody in the church. The devil would love to deceive us into thinking unity is not all that important. He would love to use us, if we allow him, to introduce disunity into the fellowship, this church family. A word of advice. I already said it. I'll say it again. Here's a word of advice. Neither you nor I want to be the one that allows him to be successful in his ways here at CCF. We must guard the unity of, a the, unity of the church at any cost. Even if we have to overlook an offense or two to do so. What? Overlook an offense? Not claim my rights? Not voice my opinion in a wrong way? Proverbs 19.11. It's to the glory of a man or a woman to overlook an offense for the higher good. Not to compromise truth and not to condone sin. I said I wouldn't say that again, but I had to. Not to compromise truth, not, not to condone sin, but for the higher cause of the, the cause of the church, of being on mission together with Christ, I will lay down my offense. I will not pick up that offense and come against somebody. And if we're all thinking like this, then there'll be no offense in the church. Even if we have to abandon our own personal agenda for the higher agenda of God, we will do so. Now, this is where I was going to talk about how well our board does at this. I can't commend our elders highly enough for how our elders, we discuss. But once we think we know what God wants, every one of us is willing to say, your will be done. Not our will, your will be done. That's what has guarded the unity of this church over the years. And, of course, you in the congregation, for the most part at least, 
same mindset. That's what's guarded, has guarded the unity of this church for all these years. I commend our elder board and I commend you, the church. That mindset of, I'll lay down my personal agenda, that mindset preserves, maintains, and keeps the unity of the church. Now, again, Ephesians 4, 3, but with an interesting twist. You may have already known this. I only saw it as I was studying this. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit. Binding yourselves together with peace. An observation. Do you want to hear it? Do you notice that it says make every effort, work hard to keep unity, to maintain unity, or we could use the word preserve unity? Here's a question. Why doesn't it say make every effort, work hard to create or produce unity in the church? It says keep it, maintain it, preserve it. It doesn't tell us to create it or produce it or make it happen. What? Say it out good and loud. Deb said because we're one in the spirit already. She must be married to the pastor. That's what I'm guessing. <laughs> no, I didn't, I didn't say that to her. She came up with that. That's the answer. Unity is the normal. Unity is the natural state of the church. You say, well, I've seen a lot of churches, pastor, and that's hardly true. But that is absolutely true. Unity is the natural state of the church. It's the normal. Disunity is the exception. So stay with this now. It's a very interesting and a very important concept. Even though, as we said, from your experience, my experience, it certain does, certainly doesn't seem to be true when you look at many churches, but it is. We do not have to create unity in the church. We do not have to produce unity in the church. Unity and oneness already exist in Christ. We just have to not break it. Following that, we have to make every effort not to break it. It already exists. We have to make every effort to keep it, to maintain it, to preserve it, to not do anything to disturb it. It already exists. It's the natural state of the church in Christ. Make every effort to keep yourselves united. You already are. When you came into Christ, you came into a oneness with the church body. Now, make every effort to keep that oneness. Don't break it. There's no disunity in Christ. Follow this. The church is composed of believers. Christ is in believers. Believers are in Christ. There is no disunity in Christ. There is no disunity in God. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. That's our word. I and the Father are already one. Therefore, when we come into Christ, we're already one together. Unbroken oneness. We only need to keep, maintain, and preserve that earthly speaking. Unity that already exists by virtue that we are in Christ. 
I know I'm hammering and I'm hammering it and I'm hammering it, but are you getting it? Jeremiah said, is not my word like a hammer that smashes the rock to pieces, says the Lord? Hammering, hammering, hammering. We already won in Christ. Keep it. Maintain it. Preserve it. Don't break it. Don't do something stupid and break it. Granted, God is so merciful and forgiving. It's reparable. You can repair it. But it's far better if we never do it. Then there'll be no scar tissue. When you repair a breach in the church, like it or not, there's always scar tissue then that you have to deal with. Are you with me in this today? Understanding what we're saying? Good, because it's on us, not just us. All believers everywhere in their church, in this church. Because we already have unity positionally, our position in Christ. We should live in unity practically, the way we relate to one another. The way we relate to one another practically should reflect our position in Christ. Isn't that what Paul's been saying? Now live life worthy of your calling, and it begins in the church, and it begins in the relationships in the church. Live out your position in Christ in the church. Maintain the unity that's already there. The oneness that's already there. Unity is the natural state of the church. Disunity is an aberration. When we see churches infighting, when we see churches splitting, when we see people leaving the church and fighting and this and that, that's not natural. That's an aberration. And although we don't always see God move in those situations quickly, he is very displeased when that situation exists. When disunity exists in the church, God is very displeased with the church. And the church is greatly hindered. Not stopped, but greatly hindered if you compare what we could be if we had no disunity. Satan does not want us to know this. Satan wants us to think that strife and division and conflict, discord, fighting, backbiting, dissension, friction, rivalry, envy, jealousy, dispute, quarreling, clashing, disagreement, squabbling. Satan wants us to think that's the natural state. That's an aberration in the church. That's the natural state of the world because it's his world. That's not the natural state of the church because it's his church. (laughs) The truth is for there to be disunity in the church, for there to actually exist disunity in the church, we must break the natural unity by our wrong words or actions. It's on us. Unity is broken when we mistreat or do not treat one another according to biblical instructions for relationships in the church. That's why. Always be humble. Be gentle. Be patient with each other. Making allowance for each other's faults because you love one another. 
This and many other verses and many other portions of Scripture speak to how we are to relate to one another. The one another commands, there's many of them. The purpose is to keep, maintain, and preserve the unity that we have in Christ as the church. And the purpose of preserving the unity that we have in Christ is so we can maximize effectiveness in serving Christ. We can maximize effectiveness in kingdom work. A house divided against itself cannot prosper. Just on a very practical level, if there's infighting and disunity and issues in the church, the board can't really focus on advancing the mission. We have to deal with all those fires. And that's what Satan loves. We're not ignorant of his schemes. We need to take a stand against that. Got it? The, whole, the rest of the passage we're not going to really cover. It mentions a lot of ones, O-N-E-S. One body, one spirit, one glorious hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father. It's just all emphasizing the unity in God, the unity in Christ, the unity in his church, the unity among believers. We don't need to cover that at this time. Interesting to note, though, that word one, the same root word is translated united, it's translated unity, it's translated one or oneness. Paul is greatly emphasizing in this, these six verses the unity of the church, and it's, it's found in the relationships of the church. The doctrine and the worship are also important, but he's focusing on the relationships in the church. Satan will try to destroy the relationships. The strength of a church is in its relationships. Satan will try to destroy its relationships. The strength of a church is in its unity. Satan will try to destroy the unity. As always, just going to close with a few scriptures. We'll, we'll run through them. Not a lot of commentary. First of all, how did Jesus think about unity? Well, he was praying to his father for his disciples and for the church that he foresaw in the future. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. Unity among his true followers was one of Jesus' highest concerns, not the positional unity that exists, the practical unity, living with one another. That's a whole different story, isn't it? Serving with one another, that's a whole different story. O to be with saints above, that will be so much glory. But to live with saints here on earth, now that's a different story. Romans 12, 16, live in harmony, oneness, unity with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. Harmony is our word for unity, and it is again in the next verse. Romans 15, 5. May God, who gives this patience and encouragement, help you to live in complete harmony with each other, as is fitting for followers of Jesus Christ. I'm not looking for any dissenters on my elder board. I love the guys I have. I'm not looking for any dissenters in the church. I love you. If something comes up that we have to talk about, we'll talk about it. But we'll love each other through it. When that's the case, all of you can join together with one voice giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Two thoughts from this verse. 
We're dependent on God's help to live in harmony and unity with one another. And when we do, God is greatly glorified in that church. God is glorified in a church where unity, oneness, and harmony are present. He is not glorified in church where there's division and strife and fighting. 1 Corinthians 1.10 I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, live in harmony with one another. Live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. We're not ignorant of the enemy's schemes. We need to take a stand against him. Colossians 3.14 Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony, unity. The application. It's the same as the last few weeks, basically all through this passage. What are we going to do with what we've heard today? What are you going to do with what you've heard today? Are there any changes you need to make in the way you're viewing things, the way you're viewing people, the way you maybe have been treating some people in the church? Perhaps one thing we can all do. Are you listening? Anybody listening? Some? Perhaps one thing that we can all do off of what we heard today is determine it's not going to be me. If it happens in this church, it's not going to be me. I will do everything I can to make sure it doesn't happen. But if it happens, it's not because of me. And if we all adopt that mindset, it won't happen. And we have to help new people who God's bringing into the church, and there will be plenty, and some of them will be come, in, come in willing to fight for their agenda because they think they know it all, like Paul said, don't think you know it all. We have to help them right away to understand our mindset on this and help them not to be the cause of disunity in the church. It's good for us. It's good for them because if they're the one causing disunity, they're in trouble with God. Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear what you are saying to this church today. Ray, will you come and pray? We'll stand, and Ray will, Ray will close us in prayer. Sonny will bring the band. This is the routine, most Sundays. So wait until everybody's settled. Don't pray over the distractions. There's the mic over there. morning I came here didn't know exactly what I'm going to say when I want to pray over in fact yesterday I actually spent time in the good book reading this and trying to comprehend and I did write down some notes I look at the congregation as we're sitting here and listening to the worship band this morning. A wonderful group of people that play for us every week. One thing we're missing, it's great to hear the tunes and how great they are, but 
we should be also looking at the words on the screen, just like reading the Bible. Not only reading it, but getting understanding. He is the light. This morning, that made a difference to me, Lord. I saw the light come through as it filtered through the stained glass windows. And it was actually right at Hub's feet. There was a sunbeam on the floor. Father God, thank you for giving our shepherd the words of wisdom he presented to our congregation this morning. Your words from the Holy Spirit run in our lives and intertwine in conjunction with today's sermon that binds us to you, Father, and to one another this morning. Our hearts should not be set against one another, but set with one another. Father, you have us all walking down the same path. There is no room for evil or its fruits. Having two different camps is not being like you. We must be in unity. Father, I look at this world and I see it all over the place. Even in our professional football teams, when there's no unity there, what happens? There's failure and they fall apart. Something that we have to keep realizing that we have to keep this together. Father, show us how a group of imperfect people can preserve a common care for each other. And that's not hard. It's not hard. Even the deaf and the dumb can understand kindness and love. It doesn't always have to be words. Show us the ways how not to be impatient or resentful, but long-suffering and forgiving and love. Then the unity that Christ died to create will become real in our lives and in the church. And we will not bring any sorrow to the great God who called us to be in his glory.